As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show, our Friday marriage between these two podcasts, coming together for week four of the NFL season. It's Friday, October 2nd. Of course, I am Michael Beller, joined for the first portion of this show by Derek Van Riper. We're going to get into some DFS talk for week four. Derek, how you doing? Doing well. Glad we're cruising along here into this uh this fourth week, and uh, I love the prices this week. It just seems like there's a ton of flexibility, and that's without getting the final injury report of the week, which always opens up a few more possibilities. Yeah, I am right there with you. A running back receiver feels like you can do a lot of things there. So let's just get right to it. First, we'll start with the games to target. And Derek, the odds makers, they have adjusted to the high-scoring environment of the NFL this season. We have eight games, eight with a total of 51.5 or higher out of 15, I guess 14, not include, although the Jets and Broncos were not, uh, the, the pregame total was nowhere near 51.5, so we can include them. 15 games on the slate, including last night's game between the Jets and Broncos. Eight of them have a total of 51.5 or higher. Lions, Saints, Browns, Cowboys, Cardinals, Panthers, Vikings, Texans, Seahawks, Dolphins, Patriots, Chiefs, Bills, Raiders, Falcons, Packers, the Monday night game. Let me put it to you like this, Derek. Are any of those looking like ones to you that could fall short of scoring expectations? That's the right way to ask the question. And I I think the other thing we got to do is sort of recalibrate in our heads, like what a truly high over under looks like. Like like 48 is like below average or bottom half of the slate, at least, which is just wild to think uh, at this point. I think of those games, hmm. Bills Raiders, I would have said Bills Raiders a couple of weeks ago, but I'm becoming a believer in this Bills offense. I loved what I saw last week against the Rams. Josh Allen looks really comfortable throwing the ball, and he's got plenty of weapons to do it too. So, wow. Uh, I don't see a a clear-cut fall short. I guess maybe Seattle-Miami in part just because Miami is not good enough to score a lot of points. I think that's the the one that's most likely to go well under 54 with the Dolphins being about a six-point dog. The one that scares me might surprise you, but it's Cardinals and Panthers. Uh, obviously, we know no Christian McCaffrey, 
maybe. No DeAndre Hopkins. He did not practice on Thursday, so he hasn't practiced all week because of an ankle injury. If both of those guys, the two biggest playmakers, and of course Kyler Murray's in there too, but the two biggest non-quarterback playmakers uh, in, that would be in this game aren't in this game, I think that's the one that has a little bit of concern. So that could be a game that I end up fading, certainly. But these other games, so many of them, I mean, even if one or two of them don't live up to that expectation, we have good reason to believe we're going to get five, six, some number of games in that range that end up giving us 51, 52, 58, 59 points. So what could be another very high-scoring week in the NFL? Let's get things started at the quarterback position. We have one, two, three, four, five, six guys at $7,000 or higher at quarterback, led by Lamar Jackson at 8,100. Russell Wilson is at 7,800. I think this is a decent week to spend up for quarterbacks because I think you can find uh, uh, some guys at running back and receiver to spend down on, and it gives you a little bit more money to spend up. They're just aren't that many guys necessarily who jump out at me in this discussion. I actually think if I was going to go for a 7,000 plus dollar quarterback, it would be Josh Allen after what we've seen from him through three games. And he brings that rushing ability too. So to get that a little bit cheaper than what you're going to have to spend to get Lamar Jackson at 8,100, I think that definitely makes sense. You're getting a good projection at a very fair sort of price. I kept looking at this price list though and kept falling into the mid-tier and cheaper because I think Deshaun Watson, especially in cash games, if you need that extra thousand bucks or so is 6600 the vikings are allowing 8.5 yards per attempt this season that secondary is atrocious only the dolphins have been worse the vikings are tied for the second worst pass defense in the league by that particular metric i just look at this texans team and i think they're very shootout prone so i think that bodes well for watson each and every week as well and there's no reason why he couldn't finish at the same sort of part of the curve as the Seven and eight thousand dollar quarterbacks on the board this week, given this matchup. I just think everything lines up really well for Watson. Uh, But there's so many little wrinkles. I mean, how much do you think people are scared off by Patrick Mahomes facing the Patriots, even though they shouldn't be? Like 7,400 of Mahomes feels cheap after what we just saw on Monday night against the Ravens. Yeah, I think $7,400 Mahomes is really a great way to go. And, uh, you know, Jake Seeley was talking about getting questions last week about should I bench Mahomes uh, against the Ravens because of the defense. And, of course, you never bench Patrick Mahomes against anyone. It doesn't matter. And you never, you very rarely see Patrick Mahomes at $7,400. So I do think that is a nice way to go also, even though I do favor Josh Allen just slightly if I was going to pay up for a quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is definitely never a bad way to go and you know Bill Belichick scares us in ways that no other coach does and for good reason but the way Patrick Mahomes is playing this season the way that Chiefs offense has been running now for the last three years has to give you a lot of confidence that they can do it against any defense any matchup any coach it really doesn't matter Um, I look at the cheap group of guys Derek and I gotta be honest Ryan Fitzpatrick jumps out at me $5,400 the only starters who are going to cost you less this week are Derek Carr at $5,300 Daniel Jones at $5,100 and Dwayne Haskins at 5000 None of those guys are even on the radar for me. But then you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, and the Seattle defense has not slowed anyone down this season. And sure, the degree of difficulty, the matchups they have had this season uh, have been pretty tough. They've been they faced some pretty good offenses, some good quarterbacks, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, Matt Ryan and the Falcons. It hasn't necessarily been the easiest road for the Seahawks to traverse. 
but still, they have not stopped anyone through the air. Ryan Fitzpatrick has never met a deep ball he hasn't wanted to throw, and he's got the weapons. Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Gesicki, Miles Gaskin emerging as a you know, legitimate threat out of the backfield catching the ball. I think if you were inclined to pay down, you could go way down to Fitz at 5400 and load up at every other position. Yeah, I think because of the pricing throughout the rest of the quarterback position, you could absolutely justify Fitz in a tournament setting because you're saving money. You could stack them up with Devontae Parker and a couple other pass catchers in this offense and then load up on high-end talent elsewhere and hope the Dolphins keep pace. There's a chance that they will, and you'd have a pretty nice combination of low-owned options once you get past Devontae Parker. I think he'll be somewhat popular. We'll talk about him in a bit. I'm just not convinced that Ryan Fitzpatrick is totally locked in and safe. If he has a bad half, does he turn this job over this week? Or do we have to wait longer for that to happen? I think that's the the one lingering concern I have, that the Dolphins may want to make that adjustment at some point in the reasonably near future. All right, one more guy that uh, you've got listed in this cheap category as someone who you think could be worth playing. It's Teddy Bridgewater. Why do you look at Teddy in this group of guys? Really just trying to keep pace with Arizona. I know not having McCaffrey lowers the ceiling for the Carolina offense, but he does still have DJ Moore. He's got that rapport building up with Robbie Anderson. We'll see how they get Curtis Samuel involved. And Mike Davis has been pretty capable as a pass catcher these last two weeks since McCaffrey got hurt. Uh, Bridgewater's usually cheap, and a lot of times you don't see enough of a ceiling really to go after him. But I think in this particular matchup against the Cardinals, there actually is more ceiling than usual. The other guy in that price range who's kind of tempting to me is actually Drew Brees. I know he hasn't looked like himself for the most part, but how much of that has been the absence of Michael Thomas? And thinking about this matchup against the Lions, it may not matter if Thomas is ready to come back in Week 4. Yep, that's uh, you're never going to see, I guess, but you probably are going to see going forward Drew Brees down in 5,800. That's, the matchup scares me just a little bit because we've seen the Lions be able to keep pace in pretty much every game they've had this season. So it does scare me a little bit. I can see making the argument for Drew Brees, but um, it's not a play that I want to make uh, just yet this week. However, I will say, as we turn the page over to running backs, that one of my very favorite plays on the board is Alvin Kamara. He's the most expensive running back, $8,000. I, I got to be honest, that feels low to me. I think he should be treated almost like Christian McCaffrey, with or without Michael Thomas, with the way that we've seen them use him this season. And even if you do get Michael Thomas back on the field this week, it is going to be a Michael Thomas who hasn't played since week one. So maybe not fully yet able to be the guy we're used to seeing. Alvin Kamara has done everything for this team on the ground, through the air, a monster receiving game last week, a monster receiving game back in week two. And they're not afraid to use him at the goal line, as we've seen. Plenty of goal line rushes for uh, Alvin Kamara this season and really all of last season as well. Uh, this is someone who I think is maybe the best play on the board, regardless of position. Yeah, I think he's going to be very popular this weekend. That almost goes without saying, for the reason you mentioned, 8,000 flat for a guy that reasonably could be 9,500. That's a bargain, and normally you don't get bargains at the top of a position list. Even if Thomas is back, I think it's a skinny enough tree for touches. He's looked really good uh, all season long. And this is a matchup in which the Saints should be protecting a lead in the second half. So I, I think everything lines up really well for Alvin Kamara this weekend. Uh, there's some other interesting backs, though, and I think a lot of them are, are in the sub $6,000 range. Like, There's nothing wrong with Zeke at 7800 I think you could go Kamara and Zeke and find a cheap option 
to fill that flex spot and then stack in some of those cheap uh, dolphins that I was talking about earlier and run with that in a tournament. You might have a nice little foundation. But I feel like the running backs that are getting more volume than expected should cost a bit more. Daryl Henderson, who you like more than I do, I think in a broader sense, is still only 5,800. The Rams are home against the Giants. If he's truly the lead back in this offense, as Sean McVay has recently said, that's a steal, given what we expect that Rams offense to do to that Giants defense. 12.5 is the line on that game, and I am with you 100%. I think I'm going to have a ton of Daryl Henderson in DFS this week. I'm surprised that the price didn't come up a little bit more. Uh, we're still not clear on whether Cam Akers is going to be able to give it a go this week, but if he does, can't imagine he'll be too heavily used. We saw last week it was really the Daryl Henderson show with Malcolm Brown mixing in a little bit. So I think against a Giants team that hasn't really been able to stop any running backs yet this season with a 12.5 line in favor of the Los Angeles Rams in this game, I think we see another big performance out of Daryl Henderson. That's going to be really my default. It's almost where I start my lineups this week is by getting Alvin Kamara and Daryl Henderson in there, and then I go from there. You mentioned the uh, sub-6,000 range as being a a range that you like to target this week, so let's just shout out some of the guys and their prices, and you tell me who you look at other than Henderson in this group. We've got, we'll include Kenyon Drake at the flat 6,000, Devin Singletary, 5,900, then you've got uh, Mark Ingram at 5,700. You've got David Montgomery at 5,500. Carlos Hyde is at 5,300. James White, 52. Joshua Kelly, 51. Miles Gaskin, 5,000. So in that group of guys, anyone else jump out at you? Yeah, I think the the players I like in that range are, are Mixon and David Johnson. And I think with Mixon, it's been frustrating because the efficiency hasn't been there. This Bengals offense just hasn't clicked yet. But the volume is there week in and week out. And that's the key. We're talking about 20 touches in the first two games, 19 last week against the Eagles. If he just puts a TD on top of the volume he's been getting at that price, that's a good return. If he gets some efficiency to go with it, that's a great game. And if he finds the end zone twice, it's an absolute smash from that price point. And I think going up against Jacksonville, this is a situation where this Bengals offense can start to click a little bit. It might not all happen in one week, uh, but Joe Mixon, sub-6,000 with the workload he's been getting, absolutely makes sense. Similar logic with David Johnson, too. I thought David Johnson was going to do a bit more damage last week against Pittsburgh, uh, just because I I figured that game was going to be more of a back-and-forth sort of shootout. Looked okay in the first half, but just 13 carries for 23 yards, kind of bailed himself out with that first half rushing TD. I I like the way his workload should stack up in this game against Minnesota. The Vikings defense, as we've said before, is atrocious. So if you're not going after Deshaun Watson, but you want some exposure to the Houston offense, David Johnson's a really good way to get it. You could use him as your second running back or as your flex this week. You know, someone who I mentioned in that group who I think is a nice play in season-long leagues, but who I actually am not really interested in in DFS is Carlos Hyde. He checks in at 5300 so the price is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but... I worry that Travis Homer is going to get a majority, if not all, of the passing down work for this team. And if you take that away from a running back, and he's not someone who's going to you know pile up 25 carries or be someone who can you know break through the first and second level of the defense and pull away, which I think accurately describes Carlos Hyde 
then you really need a touchdown or two to come through, even at $5,300. So I think he's actually a pretty easy fade, especially expecting that he might be popular, right? Uh, $5,300, a game where the Seahawks are favored by 6.5, a good offensive environment in Seattle, not a bad matchup against Miami. All that adds up, I think, to Carlos Hyde being relatively popular this week. And so for me, that's actually a pretty easy fade. I'm going to be staying away from Carlos Hyde. There is one guy who you and I agree on who we haven't talked about just yet, and that is Nick Chubb. He is the cheapest among the one, two, three, four, five running backs who are at least $7,000. He is exactly $7,000. No practice again on Thursday for Kareem Hunt. He is dealing with a groin injury. So, I mean, if, if we knew, if DraftKings pricing knew that Kareem Hunt was going to be out for this game, Gotta believe that we'd be talking about Nick Chubb up in Alvin Kamara territory at $8,000, but there he is sitting at $7,000. If Kareem Hunt is out, I think Nick Chubb has to be in your lineups. Yeah, he becomes an automatic play at the price and maybe even unseats Alvin Kamara as the best running back play on the board because the volume would go up even further, and he gets plenty of carries anyway. We're talking about a guy that's got 41 carries the last two weeks, back-to-back 100-yard games, but you're going to add passing down opportunities on top of that in a game that should be back and forth. I, mean, I think Cleveland's offense is good enough to put a lot of points on the board against the beat-up Dallas defense. You know, actually, that, that what you said about Chubb getting those all those carries, even with Kamara or with uh, Kareem Hunt healthy, is a good illustration of what I was talking about with Carlos Hyde, right? If you're not going to get passing down work, then you need to be someone like Nick Chubb for me to feel really good about you, even at that $5,300 price that we have on Carlos Hyde. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the last guy who we can uh, who we can mention here. Uh, $6,400 against the Patriots. I don't know if we need to go too into him, but similar to what we talked about with Patrick Mahomes, right? It feels like the Patriots' defense is getting too much respect, and the Chiefs' offense isn't getting enough respect when you look at these prices for these two guys. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the run defense for New England to this point, doesn't look particularly stout. I think the Patriots are going to be more worried about containing big plays, trying to avoid getting beat over the top by Tyreek Hill. I think it's going to open up a lot of uh, short and intermediate routes for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of the backfield. I could see his pass-catching role scaling up a bit this week as well. So definitely right there in that sweet spot, 6400 for a guy getting plenty of carries in the Kansas City offense. That is a great price. I've seen some projections for roster rates on him right around 10 12%. That's very reasonable. I think you can actually play him in tournaments if that's where things appear to be going on Sunday morning. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Derek, let's move on to the wide receiver position here. Another position where the pricing struck me as kind of odd, or maybe not odd given what we have on the board for us this week, but uh, unconventional, certainly not what we're used to seeing. We have DeAndre Hopkins as the most expensive receiver, $8,500. And again, he has missed the last two practices for Arizona because of his ankle injury. Then you go down $900 to find Michael Thomas next at $7,600. And then $600 to find Tyler Lockett, the third most expensive receiver on the main slate, at $7,000. 
of course, we're not including the Monday night game here. So you've got guys like Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley all playing in that Monday night game. But still, it is, it's, it's just strange. It's, it's not a, the sort of pricing slate that we are used to seeing. And that is actually pushing me more toward you know mid and uh, secondary mid-tier guys, guys who are in the $5,500 to $6,500 range with one exception who I'll hold on to. But when you look at this wide receiver position, what most jumps out of you this week? I think it's DJ Moore at 5,600. I think using the logic that we discussed with Teddy Bridgewater especially – the Panthers have to play catch-up. DJ Moore is their number one receiver. And with Christian McCaffrey out, even though Mike Davis has been catching passes, I think that brings up the floor for DJ Moore even higher. Uh, so I'd love him at 5,600. I think the, the role is really secure. The floor is good. Cash games, I think he's kind of a must-play almost at wide receiver, given the way that using him opens up a little extra money to spend up elsewhere. And... Don't think it really goes wrong for him matchup-wise because they move him around enough where I don't know if he's going to catch all of Patrick Peterson throughout that matchup either. I think we'll, we'll see DJ Moore come through with a nice 18-20 point game with relative ease in this matchup. Yeah, DJ Moore, definitely the volume has been there for him really all season, and I don't think you can go wrong at that price, right? If the volume stays, the price absolutely is right. The one guy who I like who's a little bit more expensive than the other ways that I'm going this week is Allen Robinson, $6,700. We saw the breakthrough game for him last week, 10 catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. Had another touchdown taken off the board on a dubious overturn. Nick Foles in at quarterback for the Bears definitely brings a level of competence to that offense that has been lacking with Mitch Trubisky under center. I just think the arrow's pointing up for this whole offense, and Allen Robinson is going to be the biggest beneficiary of that. So I think $6,700 could be the cheapest that we see him at, just to give you a little bit of context here. Amari Cooper and Cooper Cup are also at $6,700. You've got DK Metcalf and Stephon Diggs at $6,800. Tyreek Hill at $6,900. Right behind him, you've got Adam Thielen at $66 and Keenan Allen at 65 so I really like when you look at that entire group of guys we can extend it out to Mike Evans at 6400 too really do like Allen Robinson as my favorite in that range of players yeah he makes sense I mean the Bears offense had a totally different look once Foles took over they did have TDs taken off the board in that game as well and I like that Foles is pushing the ball downfield I know they were playing from behind but I think that's going to be part of their MO and part of this team that people keep missing on is that the Bears' defense is not a typical Bears' defense. They're going to be in more higher-scoring games than we're accustomed to. So I think the week-to-week setup, the baseline expectation for the offense as a whole, is higher by necessity for me with this team. Yeah, I think that's a good point and something that uh, Bears watchers would be able to tell you already so far this season, and I think something that we will catch on to uh, industry-wide and league-wide as the season goes on. We've got a few more guys who we want to talk about here, but uh, you know, this is a position where you can always find some bargains, right? It's a deep position. It's a position where you get six or seven opportunities. You could turn that into a really big game that's just not possible at running back. Are there any cheap guys? I'm thinking, let's say, 5,500, 5,400, somewhere in there or lower that you like a lot this week. Yeah, Moore's close to that at 5,600, and Devontae Parker's not far off at 5,700. I mean, I think the target volume is so safe with him, and Miami's going to play catch-up with Seattle all day. But going cheaper, I like Marvin Jones at 4,900 quite a bit now that Kenny Galladay's back because Jones doesn't see top coverage anymore. And I think that Lions offense will have to throw it quite a bit to keep up with the Saints. 
it's a great setup there. I think he's probably a, a little more of a tournament play for me than a cash game play just because he's not a high-volume guy. They do spread the ball around enough where I don't think you feel great about his role, but he has big playability, and that's what you're looking for when you're trying to hit uh, the cheap home run at the wide receiver position. Uh, the other guy that I think is kind of interesting is T.Y. Hilton down at 5,300 going up against the Bears. I think there's still something left in the tank. I think the problem is we've seen low volume these last couple of weeks, just three targets against the Jets in week three. But let's go back to that opener against the Jags. Nine targets in the opener, four for 53, disappointing in part because of the play of Phillip Rivers. I think that's going to be something that keeps Hilton from being consistent week to week. But it's still, it's still a situation where I'm comfortable taking the chance on him in tournaments when the price is as low as it is this week. Yeah, I can totally understand that and easily the number one pass catcher in that offense, right? And whenever you can say that about someone, that's usually a good attribute to bring in no matter who the pass catcher is, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter the defense. It's really a nice spot for T.Y. Hilton to be in. Um, C.D. Lamb is pretty much an autoplay for me at this point. Until the price adjusts, I'm going to still just be going after him. $5,400. Dallas is going to be playing in shootouts all season long. He's just $100 more than T.Y. Hilton. He's $100 cheaper than A.J. Green, which uh, is just mind-boggling to me after what we've seen from these two players through three weeks of the season. So uh, just he remains an incredibly cheap way to get invested in an offense that has been great this year and tied to a defense that has been bad this year. That makes C.D. Lamb Really an easy play for me. Another guy who I'm going to have a ton of exposure to here this week. Uh, let's move on to the tight end position. Let's get through this one relatively quickly. This is a spot where I typically like to go cheap, but I feel like this is a good week for Mark Andrews. He's $6,000, $800 cheaper than Travis Kelsey, who's the most expensive player on the board here. It's got to be a get-right spot for Baltimore after getting embarrassed by Kansas City last week. They go up against a Washington team that is going to be playing without Chase Young, so that takes a big bite out of what we know is a good pass rush when it is fully healthy. That's just going to give Lamar Jackson more time to do what he does and these pass catchers to do more time to get uh, open downfield. Uh, we haven't seen a big game uh, from Mark Andrews the last two weeks. He did have two touchdowns in that week one win over the Browns. Last week, though, eight targets. A couple of those were end zone targets, so you do find a silver lining there. And again, with how much bargain we can find at running back and receiver this week, we might have a little bit of extra money to play with at tight end. So I'm inclined to build at least a lineup or two that does include Mark Andrews. Yeah, I just I like it because volume-wise, he's right there with Hollywood Brown atop the the list of, of pass catchers for Lamar Jackson, right? Like, Andrews is a priority. He gets lots of targets in the red zone as well. Darren Waller at 5,200, though, is a yep, great bargain. Guy. I mean, look, yep. Raiders' bills might come in a little higher than expected. I think the fact that the Rams came back in that game last week makes me realize that that Bills' defense isn't bulletproof, and my trust level with the Raiders' offense continues to rise I mean, Waller in particular is just fantastic. I, I can't believe he's 5,200. I would have guessed his price would have been 6,000 or so this week based on the usage. Uh, I know last week against the Patriots he was quiet, but look at the first two games. 24 targets, 18 catches, 148 yards, and a score in those games. I'm absolutely in on Darren Waller if I've got 5,200 for the tight end spot this week. The question, though, is like if you want to go cheaper – where do you go for punt plays at tight end? Guys closer to that $4,000 mark. 
I think I go to Jimmy Graham, to be honest, $3,800. He had two touchdowns last week. Uh, From the point Nick Foles took over and on, he had seven targets, caught four of them for 47 yards and one of his two scores. All three of his touchdowns this year, too, Derek, have been from three yards and in. It was two yards, two yards, and three yards for his three touchdowns. So that shows us that Matt Nagy uh, really thinks of Jimmy Graham as a big-time weapon when the Bears get near the goal line. And when you're looking at punt plays at tight end, what are you looking for? You just want a guy who can get into the end zone. And I think Jimmy Graham, out of this group of guys, uh, Greg Olson at 4,100, Austin Hooper at 4,000, Moelle Cox, 3,900, Gronk, 3,600. I will bet that Jimmy Graham has the best touchdown upside of that group. So I lean toward him. I'm trying to spend a little more where I can and make Hunter Henry sort of my core play at the tight end position this week. Mm -hmm. At least seven targets each of the first three games. He's dealt with both quarterbacks already, so it's not a situation where we only like him with Tyrod or we only like him with Justin Herbert. Uh, At least five catches each of these first three games as well and at least 50 yards along the way. So he just seems to have a really steady role in that Chargers offense. What do you think of Chargers-Bucks as a matchup overall? I wish Chris Godwin were playing. I think taking a chess piece like that out of that game really does hurt things uh, on both sides. I think that we might see uh, a little bit more of uh, of a slower offense from Tampa than we're used to seeing, and, and the Chargers have been running relatively slowly as well. So I wish Godwin were out there. Uh, otherwise, uh, with the way it's going to be, it's just a game that I can't get too excited about. It sounds like you're on the opposite side of that. Well, I, I thought the over-under would be a little higher, uh, but it opened at 45.5 and, and moved down to 43. I guess I'm just surprised that it dropped that much. I thought 45.5 actually made a lot of sense. And you know, the Chargers are touchdown underdogs, so I think volume will be there for this passing game. And if there's volume, Hunter Henry is a big part of it. So I like him quite a bit at the price given the setup here this week. Let's wrap things up really quickly here at defense. Anyone jump out of you again? This was another week where I was scrolling up and down, up and down, up and down, and I just couldn't find anything I really liked at the price. Obviously, the Rams are the best defense of the week, but uh, I just don't want to spend close to $4,000 on my defense. No, I I don't either, and I I keep landing on the Texans. I don't know if I'm just anti-Minnesota or what's wrong (laughs) with me, but at 2500 you're getting a cheap defense at home one that can get a little bit of pressure and against an offense that's been occasionally really good but for stretches really bad and i just think defenses are so random when you don't have an obvious sort of play try to save as much as you possibly can at the position the projection you're going to see for the texans is comparable to the defenses that cost a thousand dollars more so save that thousand dollars on houston and apply it for an upgrade or two somewhere else in your lineup this week. Yeah, I'm with you on trying to find some sort of uh, bargain at defense, and I think Houston's a good one. I think you can make an argument that even though as poorly as they played, that Minnesota is a good one. It's never bad to be involved in a game that goes back and forth. I would lean toward Houston. I think they're going to win. They're playing at home. All those hallmarks we look for in a defense. I've already mentioned a few players from this team, so I'll just go back to the Bears. Hasn't been the defense that we're used to expecting, as we have talked about already, but they can still get some pressure on the quarterback. It doesn't take a lot to pressure Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers isn't running away from you. So they can generate some pressure. I do think they can get some sacks. I do think that they can force Phillip Rivers into a couple of bad decisions, get a couple of takeaways. And at $3,100, the price is definitely right. It gives you plenty of flexibility across the board with the rest of your lineup. And with that, Derek, we are going to say goodbye to you and close the book on the DFS portion of this Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, Athletic Football Show joint episode. Thanks for being here, man. Good luck this weekend. Yeah, you too. Enjoy week four.
Okay, we move on now to our against the spread picks portion of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show for Friday, October 2nd. To do that, we bring on Vic Tafer of Vic's Picks. Of course, Vic, also one of our two Las Vegas Raiders beat writers. I'm going to be talking about that game a little bit later, but we'll save that for a little bit later. Vic, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I am also doing good. Uh, yeah, we did uh, okay last week. Five and five as a pair, and I guess we had some crossover there. You went three and two for our week three audit. Uh, your three wins, New England, San Francisco, and Chicago. Your two losses, Houston and Dallas. I went two and three. Cincinnati and Kansas City were my wins. I also had Houston and Dallas, so 0 and two on our consensus picks for last week. I also had the Arizona Cardinals as my third loss. I got to be honest, Vic, I hate that Houston loss for us. That was the right pick for like 50 out of 60 minutes of that game, 55 out of 60 minutes of that game. I hated that. Yeah, it was tough. That one, and also both of our, we were both on the Cowboys. That was also a tough one. That that last uh, lob pass to Metcalf, which uh, the defense just totally broke down there. So I think those two, you know, two plays at the very end cost us two wins. Yeah, man. I'll say that we were maybe a little fortunate to be in the Dallas-Seattle one to begin with. Nah, thanks to DK can't, Metcalf. You can't say that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's DK only bad giveth beats, and so. DK taketh away, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's what we, that's what we do here, though. That's the uh, that's the way it goes sometimes when you are picking games against the spread at Houston. One, I like. Man, I, I just I, like you would think that after I'm 36 years old, you would think after all the like, picking against the spread I've done in my life that you would get used to those that you just know they're going to happen. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't matter how many times it happens when you feel like you've got you on the right side for 95 percent of the game. But the five percent you are on the wrong side includes the end of the game. It just it doesn't get any easier to get over. Hopefully we don't have any of that this week. Right. Hopefully no, we just five and oh across the across the board. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's get to these games here. Again, we are using the consensus lines from Vegas Insiders. So that brings in inputs from, you know, five, six different uh, line makers and gives us a consensus line to go with. And Vic and I are recording this at 4.30 Eastern time on Thursday afternoon. So that is where the lines stand as of right now. Of course, things might change. Half point there, half point there. Uh, by time you are making some picks on Sunday. But this is where things stand, 4.30 Eastern on Thursday afternoon. We start with the Colts. And the Bears, Colts are minus two and a half in Chicago. And Vic, this is a pick that I'm going to make right off the bat. I like the Chicago Bears in this game. Over-under is 43. Not really feeling either side of that, but I am feeling the Bears catching two and a half at home in what will be Nick Foles' first start in a Bears uniform. I just I feel like this should be the Bears minus two and a half, not the Colts minus two and a half. And you know, you can swing that however way you like, but you know, we saw a level of confidence from this Bears offense once Foles took over for Mitch Trubisky last week that we haven't seen in some time. Nick Foles led five possessions for the Bears against the Falcons. Say what you will about the Falcons' defense, it's still a professional defense. Five possessions for Nick Foles. Possession number one, an overturned touchdown, a dubious overturn, if you ask me, uh, that ended up being an interception. Possession two, a drop touchdown pass on fourth down by Anthony Miller. Possession three, touchdown. Possession four, touchdown. Possession five, touchdown 188 yards and three touchdown passes maybe could have had five touchdown passes in about a quarter and a half a quarter and three quarters worth of time for Nick Foles now you get the Colts coming to Chicago a team that 
you know, has slogged its way to a couple of wins the last uh, few weeks, but I don't think anyone has been super impressed by, I think this Bears pass rush, even though it hasn't been the Bears pass rush we're used to seeing, can create a lot of havoc for Phillip Rivers, a guy who's not going to run away from any sort of pass rush. I really like the Bears this week. I think the Bears are my favorite play of the week, Vic. Yeah, I actually was looking to fade uh, Nick Foles a little bit. I thought there was a little too much of the hype this week. I mean, the Falcons, you mentioned, they're a professional defense, but not in the fourth quarter. I mean, they definitely <laughs> they, they sure. fold quick. I mean, uh, but um, you're right. There's no value here if you, if you want to go against the Bears. So I think it's a good spread for you. And I definitely like the idea of going against uh, Phillip Rivers uh, on the road. So I think it's a good good play by you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one that I, I feel – very good about it. it was was boom right away saw it it was the first one listed too Colts Bears two and a half boom give me the Bears I feel very good about this one let's move on to our next game it's another team from the NFC North that being the Detroit Lions they are at home and they are catching four against the New Orleans Saints 54 is the over under on this game as of right now we know Michael Thomas is back at practice for the Saints but still no word on his playing status for this game and Despite that, you are already ready to take the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, it's more of an anti-Matt Patricia pick than anything else. I mean, they had a nice win against the Cardinals last week, but I can't see them winning this kind of game. I think he's outclassed in the coaching department. The Saints' defense has been pretty bad, but they can bounce back here against Adrian Peterson. I mean, he's not the threat he once was, and I think it's surprising the Lions are going to him so much. So I like. I think it's a good spot for the Saints. They definitely want to prove they're still one of the best teams in the league, and they should be able to get the, uh, the road win pretty easily, I think. Hey, guess what? We're going to make this a consensus pick. Uh, where Consensus picks did not work out for us last week, and actually we're 1-3 in three on our consensus picks so far this season. So it's bound to turn around, right? I mean, we're, we're two smartish guys who know a thing or two about football. It's got to turn around eventually when we both feel the same way. I'm with you on the Saints. And, you know, I think the Lions are maybe a little bit better than they get credit for. That was a nice win against Arizona last week, a team that I backed, so I'm fading the Lions in consecutive weeks. But... I just do think that we're going to see a bounce back game from the Saints. Uh, you know, we want to. Everyone wants to put so much on Drew Brees' arm strength, and he can't throw downfield anymore. It's not like this is new, right? This has been a thing for Drew Brees going back five years now. He's actually ranked in the bottom three in the league, not bottom third, bottom three in the league in air yards per target. Going back five years now, year over year over year, this has been the truth for Drew Brees. So it's not like this is something new that they're figuring out on the fly. They know this about Drew Brees, and they've been able to make it work time and time and time again, and I think they can make it work again. All signs do point to Michael Thomas being able to get back on the field for the Saints, and it's just, I think, a really nice bounce-back spot. We would have thought this line was going to be six and a half, seven, as recently as one week ago, so it feels like a very nice spot to get in on a Saints team that might be a little bit undervalued. We are both backing the New Orleans Saints here in week four, minus four at the Detroit Lions. Next game on the board, my Arizona Cardinals, minus three and a half, at Carolina, 51.5 is the over-under on this game. I'm not going to lie, Vic. I had Cardinals written in as a pick I was going to make initially, and then the more I thought about it, the more I just didn't feel super comfortable with it. What I'm most concerned about here is the fact that DeAndre Hopkins has missed two straight practices with an ankle injury. That is a huge bite to take out of this offense if he is unable to go, or even if he's just at less than 100%. So I lean Cardinals. I stay away. You also not making this one of your five picks, but do you have a lean here? Sometimes you got to tip your cap to the line maker. That's a good line. Three and a half is a good number. I think uh, I was going to lean towards the Panthers at home, but uh, that defense just scares me. I think your, your boy Colin Murray is uh, too good, so I think they'll probably cover that spread. But it's a good number, so I stayed away. 
Yeah, it is a good number. It's one that just just doesn't feel right one way or the other. So uh, we're going to stay away from that one. We're going to stay away from the next one. This is another one that I considered. I considered the favorite here. Cincinnati is the favorite. They are laying three, laying that field goal at home against Jacksonville. I want to believe in Cincinnati in this game, Um, you know, especially with Jacksonville getting exposed by Miami a week ago. But I kept thinking about the fact that Jacksonville looked pretty good the first two weeks of the season, beating the Colts, hanging very tough with the Titans and losing that game at the buzzer. Then they have a short week and they get blitzed by Miami. Now they're on the opposite of that. They'll have had 10 days off by time they take on the Bengals in Cincinnati. Just couldn't get away from that. So I ended up staying away from this game. What was your stay away thought process for this one? Yeah, it's just two bad teams and laying points is never really that much fun. I think Joe Burrow is definitely the difference here. I think he should be able to cover the spread, but you're right. The Jags have extra time to prepare, and I think both teams are pretty similar talent-wise, so I think it's a, it's a good stay away. Yeah, you mentioned in your VIX Picks column this week, which you should for sure be checking out every single week, listeners. And if you're not an Athletic subscriber just yet, of course, you can check that out for just $1 a month. Get in the door. Go to theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod and get yourself a subscription. $1 a month. Get VIX Picks. Get everything that we offer at The Athletic. You pointed out in that column that the 0-2-1 Bengals are 2-1 against the spread. So maybe a little bit more frisky, a little bit better than that 0-2-1 line would suggest. And speaking of heartbreakers, the Bengals were my uh, upset pick or one of my upset picks last week, and they came oh. through for me on the line. But, man, they should have won that game. How did they not win that game? Yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> just the overtime thing. Both teams didn't really seem like they wanted to win that game. It was kind of a, it was odd to watch. Yeah, well, it's, it, it, I think Doug Peterson literally didn't want to win at the end. Right. Instead right, yeah, of no instead of going for it on fourth down, punting away for the tie. Hate to see that, but uh, hey, it's something we have to deal with now in the NFL these days. Next game on the board, I think this is going to be a fun one. Cowboys minus four and a half at home against the Browns. We've got an over-under of 56, and this is one that both of us are staying away to. For me, Vic, too many narratives in my head with this one where I could easily craft a Cowboys cover, easily craft a Browns cover. So it was easy for me to stay away in this one. This is a game, though, where I will be, I don't want to say convinced because it's hard, that, that's not fully the right word. But, we're, you know, I've been, I've been feeling fine about the Browns offense so far this season, even though they haven't quite taken that step that I thought they could take, getting rid of Freddie Kitchens, bringing in the new two, the two new offensive linemen. I felt like they could take a step this year. It hasn't quite happened, but they also haven't gone in reverse. So I feel like they can get going. They just need to build a couple of good uh, outings, one on top of the other, and they can get going. Baker Mayfield can get going, and we haven't seen it just yet. If they can't do it this week, playing indoors, on the road, but indoors, no, no no fans in the stands, against a Dallas defense that has really struggled all year, that's when I will start to get worried about this Browns offense. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys have some pressure. They should be able to get some pressure on Baker Mayfield. I think that could be a key part of the game. But you know, I've gotten my hand burned three times on the stove with the Cowboys this year, so <laughs> yeah. I'm going to back off. I think it's a, I mean, it's a good spot for them. They're home. I think, you know, they, like I said, they can't get pressure on, on Mayfield, but you mentioned the defense has been pretty bad. And the offense – Turns the ball over a lot, way too much for a good team, so I would lean towards the Browns. All right, so again, no pick from either of us on this game. So far, I've made two picks, you've made one pick. We're about to get plenty of Vic picks coming up here, and it starts 
with the Texans minus four and a half at home against the Minnesota Vikings, 54 and a half. I almost joined you on Houston, Vic. I ended up staying away from this one. You are making the Texans one of your five plays. What has you on Houston at home against Minnesota this week? Yeah, I'm just stubborn. I mean, they should have covered last week. <laughs> the the offense, offense looked good for the first half. I think they have some nice pieces there. The Vikings defense is not very good. So I think it's a good spot for them. They had a really tough schedule. They played, you know, like – Three of the best teams in the league. The Vikings aren't quite that this year, so I think they should be able to win at home against uh, against the Vikings. Yeah, part of me wishes Houston looked a little bit better in those three games, but how many teams in the NFL right now would be 0-3 if their first three games were at Kansas City, home for Baltimore, at Pittsburgh? I think a lot of teams would be 0-3 if that was their schedule. Teams that are, I mean, the Bears are 3-0, right? The Bears are a 3-0 team. The Houston Texans are 0-3. What if they flipped schedules, right? And what if the Bears started with uh, Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, and the Texans started with Lions, Giants, Falcons, right? The narrative surrounding those two teams could be a little bit different three weeks into the season. And uh, not questioning my Bears pick whatsoever. I think the Bears moved to 4-0 this week. But it just goes to show that you need to take schedule into account, especially this early in the season. I think that line is fair, but I still do like Houston on that line. I don't think there's extreme value, but I like Houston to get their first win and send the Vikings to 0-4, something that I don't think a lot of people expected them to be sitting at four weeks into the season. Let's move on to our next game here on the early slate. We've got the Seattle Seahawks traveling across the country to take on the Miami Dolphins. Seahawks laying just less than a touchdown, six and a half, 53 and a half, another big over-under here. Vic, you like the Dolphins getting that six and a half at home. I don't think you're picking the Dolphins to win, but you do think they can stay within that six and a half. Why do you like Miami? I think it's a tough spot for the Seahawks. They're coming off wins over the Patriots and the Cowboys. And now we have two, obviously, big games nationwide, a lot of attention, and they're been playing really well. But now you, you fly across country to Miami, you can't be fired up to play the Dolphins. I mean, obviously, you respect your opponent, but not as much as you had the last two weeks. Sure. Dolphins are a little dangerous. You know, they, I mean, Fitzmagic was good last weekend. They can put some points on the board every now and then. So I think it's a good spot for them being at home against a team that's probably not totally locked in on facing them. So I think they cover the spread. And I, I was almost going to pick the upset. I almost got a little, little frisky, a little frisky, but I, I chickened out. <laughs> you know what's uh, what's a good one with well, a good point with this Miami line is that you know, Seattle has been bad defensively, or just straight up bad. I mean, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. They've been Russell coding it, right? They've been able to win every game because Russell Wilson is having just an unbelievable season, but it's been all offense for the Seattle team this season that they've been able to win their first three games. The defense has given them nothing. And so this Miami team, what you like about Ryan Fitzpatrick in this spot as a gambler is there's no fear in him. There is no fear of any throw. He is willing to make it. And you have some weapons in Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Kosicki, Miles Gaskin emerging as an interesting guy in this backfield as a pass catcher where you feel decent about Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, keeping Miami in this game and keeping it close enough at least where the back door is open in the end of the fourth quarter. So I think Miami is the way to go. That is my lean. However, it is not a pick I am going to be making. Something else that we should note before we move on, Chris Carson, almost certain to not play. The Seahawks haven't officially ruled him out, but uh, they put a one- to two-week timetable on that knee sprain after last week's game against Dallas. So almost certainly it'll be Carlos Hyde and Travis Homer handling the backfield duties for Seattle. Let's move on to our next game here, Tampa and the Chargers. Buccaneers are favored by seven. We got an over-under of 43 in this one. This is a pretty easy stay away for me, Vic. I want to like Tampa, but without Chris Godwin, I'm not sure I can trust them to win this game by more than a touchdown. 
Yeah, we're on the same page. Their offense is still been sputtering a little bit, and that's just a lot. That's a lot of points against a team that Chargers are not that bad. So I think that's definitely a good stay away game. I'll tell you what, though, Vic, I need uh, I need the Buccaneers to win this for my uh, Chargers last place in the AFC West bet. Right, okay. uh, this is one. This is one. <laughs> so I will have a rooting interest. Uh, sorry, Chargers fans who might be listening to this, uh, but uh, it's it's one that I right. If you when you're drawing up scenarios for a team to come in last place. Winning a road game against Tom Brady where they are touchdown underdogs is not something you want thrown in there. So uh, I'll be pulling for Tampa, we'll say here, but not one that I feel comfortable enough to bet here in week four. It'll be interesting to see how Justin Herbert plays in this game, right? Because he played well in that first game against Kansas City. Last week he made some mistakes, but you know the stats at least look good. If he plays good in this game against Tampa, I just think it's going to be hard for them to go back to Tyrod Taylor uh, if uh, unless Justin Herbert totally falls flat on his face. So well, we're going to have to watch that one closely for that as well. Our next game, the last game in the early slate on Sunday, features just our second head-to-head pick of the season. Baltimore Ravens minus 13 at the Washington football team. 45-and-a-half is the over-under. I like the Ravens. I'm willing to lay the 13 you like the Washington football team. I'll let you go first here, Vic. Make the case for the footballs. It's not a very strong case. I must say, I must have <laughs> liked other games very much because you need five. And uh, this one didn't uh, seem like an automatic play. But I like the fact that the Ravens are on a short week. I was a tough loss, obviously, against the Chiefs. Uh, Washington's not that bad defensively. I think they actually have um, – I mean, the offense is obviously terrible, but I think it's a good spot. I think I enjoyed reading about Ron Rivera the last two weeks. Um, you see this? He ate his timeouts the last two weeks rather than go for the backdoor cover. So I'm sure this week will be the opposite. This week will make sure and get that backdoor cover for me. Yeah, that's always going to be open with a 13-point line, and you have enough firepower with that Washington offense to stay close. Maybe you can talk yourself into it, but uh, I really do like Baltimore here. I think this is a big bounce back spot for them after, you know, getting kind of embarrassed, frankly, by Kansas City, right? This was supposed to be a clash of the Titans. Maybe they're the two best teams in the NFL. This is a preview of the AFC Championship game, our last two MVPs, and Kansas City rolled into Baltimore and was in that game, in control, excuse me, of that game from start to finish. There was never really a point where it felt like there was any doubt about who was going to win. Kansas City asserting themselves as the top dog in the AFC. So I think we see a big bounce-back effort from Baltimore this week. I think they run away and hide from Washington. And one thing that really pushed it over the top for me, no Chase Young for Washington. Ronnie Stanley, Ravens left tackle, has also missed a couple of days of practice this week because of a shoulder injury, so he could miss this game. But I think that losing him and Chase Young is not a one-for-one deal. I think that's a huge loss for Washington, and that takes a big chunk out of what has been a pretty good pass rush to this point of the season. So no Chase Young makes me feel even better about Baltimore, and I think this is a game that they put away early and they get back on track after that loss against the Chiefs a week ago. Let's move on to the late slate. Just three games in that 4.05 Eastern time kickoff. It starts with the Rams and the Giants. Rams, 12.5 point favorites uh, at, at home against New York. I'll be honest, Vic, I wanted to pick the Rams. I wanted to make the Rams one of my two, one of my five picks, but I hate picking two double digit favorites as two of my five plays, and I like Baltimore better, but I just don't see how the Giants stay close in this one. Yeah, there's no way you can make an argument to pick the Giants here. I mean, I, I tried, I like getting points, it's fun, but. Uh... The Rams, I think, should bounce back from their loss. And definitely the Giants' offense, I can't imagine how they hold 
court against the Rams defense. So I just think it'll be an ugly day for the Giants. I mean, they looked so bad last week. They looked terrible. And maybe you talk about you know, Devontae Freeman now has had a week plus in the building and he's learning the schemes enough to a point where he can be the main guy in the backfield in a way that just wasn't possible a week ago. But that offense looked terrible against a San Francisco defense that had, you know, was coming off a injury riddled week where they lost a couple of their best players on defense. And so it just looked so bad. I can't imagine that things look any better for them this week. But again, there's also, there are some, the reason why I'm not backing it as one of my five is because there are some considerations, right? And you got to think about how you're piecing your five together. And I just didn't want to back two monster favorites and the Ravens were the one who jumped out a little bit more at me but I do like the Rams in this game against the Giants let's move on uh, one of the highlight games of the week Chiefs and Patriots Chiefs minus seven at home with the Patriots coming to town 53 is our over under here I almost always want to back Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs Vic but this just felt a touch too high if you give me this at I could even see myself on Sunday buying it down to six and a half and backing the Chiefs. It just felt a little too high with the way Cam Newton has played this season. And we know what Bill Belichick can do with time to prepare for a team like Kansas City. So just a touch too high for me to get on board with it. Yeah, it is a little high. But, you know, you're watching that Chiefs offense on Monday night. I mean, they're just so incredible. Their confidence level is so high. So I can't imagine they worry too much about Belichick taking away one piece because they have so many pieces I mean, McCall Hardman's like, you know, their fifth option, and he's very <laughs> dangerous. So I just think that uh, – I like they keep rolling. I think I, I've changed my mind. I said the Ravens will go undefeated. I've now switched teams <laughs> and said the Chiefs will go undefeated. So I've, I've changed my horse uh, week four. I'm going with the Chiefs to ride, the, uh, ride this wave all the way through. Feeling this good about it, why didn't you pick it as one of your five? Because Bill Belichick's pretty good, so I, I, I'm not going to totally <laughs> yeah. dismiss. And, and, and Cam Newton's been impressive, I think, in the running game last week got on track. So I could see them putting some points on the board and keeping him somewhat close, but I just can't see him stopping him defensively. So I think the for me it's not a matter of the, of the Chiefs not being able to score points, but it's a matter of the Patriots maybe hanging around a little bit enough where they can get sneak back in there and, and get the cover. Let me put this out there. I could see myself ultimately switching this with New Orleans if we get good word on Chris Jones. Chris Jones is dealing with a groin injury. Uh, he has been uh, unable to practice so far this week. If we get some good word on Chris Jones, I could definitely see myself backing this because you know Seattle, when they played New England, you had Cam Newton sitting back there all the time in the world, and he that was the one game where he really looked comfortable and good throwing the football. The other two games uh, for New England this year, he's really done more, much more damage running the football, and he had two rushing touchdowns in that game against Seattle but that was the one game where he really looked good throwing the ball and I think that if you can get pressure on him and get him out of that rhythm then you can really uh, make him have to make a lot of plays with his legs and I'm not sure he'll be able to make enough plays with his legs if Kansas City's getting consistent pressure on him to keep up with that Chiefs offense so that's when I could see myself changing but for now both staying away both not putting it in our five this next game I am putting in my five. It is the last game before Sunday night football. Bills and Las Vegas Raiders. Buffalo going to Vegas, laying three, 52 and a half. I will be straight up with you, Vic. When I first did my first scan of this week, I just went right past this game. Raiders have a solid offense. You know, Bills look good, but do I trust this team to win a game by three on the road against a quality opponent in the Raiders? Probably not. I'm moving on. But the more I look at the slate, the more I thought about it, 
I really like this Bills team. Josh Allen has put together three big games, and you can say everything you want about those first two. But last week at home against the Rams, gets out to a huge lead, looks great, and then rallies after the team loses the lead and falls behind. I loved what I saw from this entire Bills offense last week. I think they can go into Vegas and win this game by more than a field goal. So the Bills, part of my five-pack this week. I love these Buffalo Bills this season. I went the other way. I have the Raiders as my upset pick this week. I think Woo-hoo. the Bills are going to come in uh, a little flat. Last week was a big game for them. It was a prove game against the Rams. Definitely came back. They blew a lead but came back. I think Josh Allen's a toast to the town right now. But I think it's a, t- it's a tough trip. I think that you get there and, and it's just an empty stadium. And it's super quiet. I think it, Raiders, Raiders can run the ball. I think the Raiders, and, the, and the Bills have shown they're not great at stopping the run. So I think that's right. definitely a way for the Raiders to go in this game. I think uh, it will be close. And in fact, I think the Raiders will pull it out in the end. So I had the Raiders winning this game uh, outright. You know, that's the one thing that scares me as a Bills backer this week is they've been gashed on the ground. I mean, even in those first two weeks against lesser opponents who they you know took care of pretty handily by the scoreboard, they were gashed. And then last week, Daryl Henderson was doing his best Todd Gurley circa 2016 impression. I mean, he looked great in that game and uh, probably took over the Rams' backfield because of how good he looked in that game. Even when Cam Akers returns, I think we're going to see a whole lot of Daryl Henderson for this team going forward. And that does concern me. I think Josh Jacobs is, not can, is going to be a major problem for the Bills. But I still look back at what the Bills have done in every game this season. Uh, Hats off to Brian Dable for totally uh, adapting this offense on the fly, right? This was a run-heavy team. Uh, in each of the last two seasons. And then as we've seen Josh Allen get a little bit better, you add Stephon Diggs to John Brown, and they've been one of the biggest 10 personnel teams in the league. They've been throwing the ball downfield. They've been one of the biggest uh, pass-happy teams in neutral game script. I mean, it has been a team that has been willing to open things up offensively, and I think that's the sort of substantive change that can change what this team is. And I think this is another game where we see that offense take a step forward and cement itself, cement this team as one of the best in the NFL. Let's move on to the Sunday night game here, Vic. 49ers and Eagles. 49ers are uh, touchdown favorites at home. Exactly. Lay on the seven. 46 is the over-under. I hate myself for wanting to back the Eagles in this game. <laughs> I just, I couldn't do it. I've been fading the Eagles so hard, but they felt like the right pick with all the injuries in San Francisco. I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I, if you took if you took the Eagles players, Vic, you took the Eagles players, you took them out of those jerseys, and you made them, I don't know, the Jaguars, or you made them the Cincinnati Bengals. Exact same team, just different name, different jerseys. I think I backed them. But I've been fading the Eagles so hard this season, and it's been good for me that I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it and feel right about it. So I'm staying away from this game. How about you? Yeah, I hear you. I was the same way. I think for some reason that line looks good to me, the Eagles plus seven. They can't possibly be as bad as they've looked the last few weeks. I think Carson Wentz can't possibly keep playing as badly. So I do – I almost also picked the Eagles, but they're also chickened out. But I think it's a good spot for them. <laughs> Niners had that big win last week where they had the, all their guys were hurt. And they showed a lot of focus and beat – you know, they won, they won both those games in New York. So they come home now. I think maybe they're not totally as up as they were last week. So I think it's a good spot for the Eagles. But, yeah, I also – I couldn't pull the trigger. Just couldn't. Just just couldn't do it. And it sounds like it's going to be another Nick Mullen start for San Francisco. George Kittle did get back into practice fully on Wednesday. So George Kittle is going to be back. There's still a possibility that Debo Samuel makes his 2020 debut in this game. So the 49ers are slowly but surely getting a little bit more healthy. We will see how many bodies they have available to them in this game against the Eagles. I will say, pool where I have to pick every single game against the spread. 
I'm going to pick the Eagles, but I'm going to feel gross about it and maybe won't even watch the game because I just don't want to have to cheer for this Eagles team that I've been fading, really going back to the start of the season when I put a future on them to miss the playoffs uh, entirely this year. Last game of the slate, and guess what? We both have one pick left to make here. Green Bay Packers at home, laying seven against the Falcons. 56 and a half is the over-under in this game. Vic, I think you can make an argument that the Packers have been the most impressive team in the NFL over the first three weeks of the season. The Falcons, meanwhile, just dreadful defensively. I feel good laying the wood here. I will take the Packers. I know you will too. Yeah, with the Falcons, there's only two ways it can go. They're going to get over the hump and stop choking games late, or they're going to start choking games in the first quarter. I think Dan <laughs> Quinn's got to be on the hot seat by now. I think the team definitely has some problems. There's some injury problems also. And like you mentioned, the Packers, if they're scoring 40 points a week. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is on fire. And so I, I think that both those things continue and the, the Packers fold up. And the, I mean, sorry, the, the Falcons fold up and the Packers roll. You know what I love about this Green Bay team through three weeks, Vic, is how they've done it differently, right? Go back to week two and you saw a monster game from Aaron Jones. One of the biggest games we're going to see all season from a running back, doing it on the ground and through the air. Now go to week three, playing without Devontae Adams in New Orleans, a team that was a little bit desperate after their loss to the Raiders. And what do they do? They let Aaron Rodgers open it up. They get a huge game out of Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard playing without their number one receiver, and they still roll up you know, as many points as they did. They've done it so many different ways. It feels like there is no slowing down this offense with their diversity of approach, and it does sound like they are going to be able to get Devontae Adams back. He returned to practice on Thursday, so that hamstring injury feeling like it's behind him. This team just has to have a ton of confidence as they play this game at home against a team that has to be at the opposite end of that confidence spectrum in Atlanta. Seven, I will say, when I first saw the number, felt a little big, but when you just look at the way these two teams play, it felt to me ultimately like a don't overthink it sort of pick. So we both back the pack on Monday night. Let's wrap things up here with our uh, first, our five picks, and then we'll talk Survivor really quickly. You've got the Saints, Texans, Dolphins, Washington footballs, and the Packers. I am also on the Saints and the Packers with you. We are head-to-head in the uh, oh the Ravens and the Washington football team. That's right. And then I also add the Bears and the Bills to my five-pack. We're sort of head-to-head in Bills and Raiders because that is your upset pick, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. My upset pick, I'll admit, it's kind of lame. It's only a two-and-a-half-point spread, and they're playing at home. But give me the Bears to win that game outright against the Colts. Uh, let's talk Survivor really quickly here. Vic, our picks uh, surviving last week. Of course, uh, we put the Colts up as the big one, and they won that game against the uh, Jets handily. So thank you, Colts. Thank you, Jets, for that matter. To me, there are three big ones, three pretty obvious ones on the board this week. Really two obvious ones. If you have them, one of them available, I don't see, Vic, how you don't go with the Rams or the Ravens. Yeah, I agree. Like, that's the obvious player. I, I can't imagine how the Giants can possibly win that game. I can't. I can't think of a scenario where that happens. <laughs> right, right. It just doesn't. It literally doesn't feel possible. I mean, it just doesn't feel like it's totally uh, in the realm of possibility. So I'm leaning Rams as my pick. I just feel like there's going to be more spots down the line where I'm going to want Baltimore. Uh, if you've already used the Rams somehow and you have the Ravens available, uh, that's the way to go. But I really want my survivor life on one of those two teams, the Rams or the Ravens. If somehow you've used all three or you want to get a little bit friskier this week, I think Tampa isn't a bad play, even though neither of us felt comfortable on them covering the seven, feel like they could be a comfortable winner 
against the Chargers at home. And unfortunately, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show. Again, if you like what you're hearing but you're not yet subscribing to The Athletic, $1 a month to get in the door. Go to theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod to do that. For Vic Tafer and Derek Van Riper, I am Michael Beller. We will be back with you next week. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great weekend. This was The Athletic Football Show.